0: good morning everybody nothing could be finer than to be in carolina would you agree with that in the morning now i'm not talking about the gamecocks i'm just talking about how jesus created this beautiful place and we get to live here i want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or in the warehouse or the chapel Or online. We're glad that you guys are along. It's going to be a great weekend. Already has. This weekend we uh, hosted uh, the Unite Marriage Conference. Incredible, incredible time. Best conference I think we've ever had. And uh, I asked Jimmy Evans, who uh, was our guest speaker for the conference, to uh, stay with us this weekend. Give us one more message. We're in a series called Finding and Keeping the Love of Your Life. And... um, the first two weeks, we talked about finding. We talked about dating, uh, relationships, and courting, uh, and, and how we do that. What does the Bible have to say? Today, we're going to talk about marriage. And uh, then next week, we're going to do a Q&A, okay? And uh, your questions, and I just want to say it'll probably be a little bit PG-13, not because of our content, but because of your nasty questions, okay? So... <laughs> But uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to attack them. And uh, Q- Q&As are always fun. And we will do some spontaneous Q&As, too. So if you've got questions, go ahead and bring them. If, if you want to put them on the, on the uh, Facebook site, that will be great, too. I want to tell you about Jimmy Evans. Uh, Jimmy and his wife, Karen, have been married for 40 years. I mean, you know that's a, a praise God. And, uh, yeah, okay, all right. They have... Uh, They have uh, two children, married children, and they have four grandchildren. So I've been discipling him in grandchildren, uh, grandparenting uh, this weekend. And uh, they have uh, a ministry called Marriage Today uh, that helps uh, married couples. And they also have a television program uh, that is uh, is seen by or is in ninety million homes weekly and and, uh, in two hundred countries. He's written a ton of great books. Uh, many of them are available uh, in the foyer here and I think at the various campuses also. Uh, and uh, just a good guy. Uh, just a good guy. I really appreciate him. He's a pastor uh, in, in uh, Amarillo, Texas. have been, been there for 30 years. Uh, and, uh, and he's a Dallas Cowboy fan. And it's been a rough week for Dallas Cowboy fans. How many of you know that? Do we have any Dallas Cowboy fans here? Yeah. I wouldn't do the whoop thing. Not after... <laughs> Not after Denver put a whooping on you last week. I just wouldn't do that, but it's okay. You'll have better days. But uh, anyway, I want you to welcome, if you would, my friend, Jimmy Evans as he comes to minister to us this weekend. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Good morning. It is wonderful
1: to be here in Charleston. What a fantastic place. I've never been here before. So this is my first weekend here. Love it. I love your pastor. He's one of my, in spite of all the things he says about the Cowboys. He's one of my dear friends. And let me tell you something. Your pastor is one of the most respected pastors in America. And I hope you know that. Give a hand to your pastor. He is. I'm telling you. Long before I met him, I heard of him and just all the incredible things about this church and just about what you guys have done. So it really is a delight to be here and I want to talk about marriage this morning if you have your Bibles there you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and I know that you guys are in a series uh, on marriage and I love speaking about this so if you have your Bibles turn to Ephesians 5 and let me read you a little story before I start talking about marriage about a couple that I hope you're in better shape than they are this is Stumpy and Martha it says Stumpy and his wife Martha went to the state fair every year and every year Stumpy would say Martha I'd like to ride in their airplane And every year, Martha would say, I know Stumpy, but that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. One year, Stumpy and Martha went to the fair, and Stumpy said, Martha, I'm 71 years old, and if I don't ride that airplane this year, I may never get another chance. Martha replied, Stumpy, that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. The pilot overheard them and said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride. If you can stay quiet for the entire ride, and not say one word, I won't charge you, but if you say one word, it's $10. Stumpy and Martha agreed, and they went up. The pilot did all kinds of twists and turns, rolls and dives, but not a word was heard. He did all all of his tricks over again, but still not a word. They landed, and the pilot turned to Stumpy and said, By golly, I did everything I could think of to get you to yell out, but you didn't. Stumpy replied, Well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out. (laughs) but $10 is $10. <laughs> I hope you're better off than Stumpy and Martha. I hope you're doing better than they are. Well, I want to encourage you this morning in marriage. You know, I, I just absolutely know, and there's a lot of young people here, and, and, you know, our society is struggling in the area of marriage, and we all know that. Uh, but let me kind of quantify that for you. In the year 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. Okay, so the vast majority of Americans were married less than 100 years ago. Today in America, 49.7% of adult Americans are married. It means most uh, uh, adults are unmarried. And we know that a lot of people live together, but fewer people are married today than ever before. It's because of fear, you know. And you have to admit, if half the planes that were flying were crashing, you'd be afraid of flying. And so with all of the problems happening Uh, In marriage today, a lot of people just wonder if it still works. And so I've got good news for you. Marriage still works. Your God is the one who created marriage. And God never creates anything to fail. Everything that God creates, He creates to succeed. But it only succeeds based on His word. And here's my good news for you you have a 100% chance of success in marriage. It doesn't matter what home you came out of. It doesn't matter if you fail before and you're on your second or third marriage. I'm telling you, you have a 100% chance of success in marriage if you do it God's way. Our society is failing because we're rejecting the Word of God. And to the degree that we've rejected the Word of God as being an authoritative source of information for our lives, that's to the same degree that our society is failing and the institutions in our society are failing. But marriage is perfect. Marriage is perfect for you. You were made in your mother's womb by the god who made marriage and he made you for marriage and you can succeed in marriage i I hope you believe me when i say that you can you can have the marriage of your dreams and i'm going to read this morning from the most important text anywhere in the world about marriage anywhere in the bible about marriage ephesians 5 is a mystery revealed ephesians 5 is the only place in the bible or anywhere where we literally see god pull back the drapes and show us his perfect plan for marriage and the revelation of how he created marriage to be. Now I want to say, I've been a marriage counselor for over 30 years, this is not a popular scripture. Okay, when, when I read this in just a minute, you probably will kind of feel a little bit of anxiety. In many years in marriage counseling, I've had couples, and I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm a pastor. And when people come to me and they uh, ask for my help in marriage, you know, my job is to help them to understand What God has to say in God's ways, because God's ways are perfect. And so when I read this scripture to people, I do not ever hear people say, thank you so much, Pastor Jimmy. That's what I wanted to hear. Well, that just just did it, didn't it? Well, I'm just going to go home and do that. Well, typically typically there's pushback. Typically there's kind of a frustration. And I read this scripture, and, and kind of the response is, you don't understand my situation. I know that would work for most people, but that's not the answer for me. This is God's perfect plan for marriage, and it's the answer for you. It's the answer for all of us. There is no plan B because plan A is perfect. I want to read uh, Ephesians 5, and I'm going to begin in, with an incomplete sentence, which is important. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's a very important sentence because his husbands and wives, were completely equal. And what it's telling us here in Ephesians 5 is how to submit to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is Christ's head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, that is God's perfect plan for marriage. And when I, when I read that to, to couples, there are a couple of common responses that you get when you read that. And this is an interesting thing. We like what it says about our spouse, but we don't like what it says about us. Okay, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. Every man loves the concept of a submissive wife treating him as the Lord. I mean, we love that. When I was an idiot husband, my my wife and I got we dated from we were 16 and got married when we were 19, and in the first several years of our marriage, we almost divorced. I was a ter- I was dominant. I was verbally abusive. I was chauvinistic, and all of that. And I didn't know one other scripture in the Bible, but I knew that one. And, and when Karen started messing with me, I'd say, "There's somewhere in the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me, woman." And it was a near-death experience. She didn't like that at all. I'm telling you right now. But <clears throat> and women love women love this concept of a husband who lays his life down for her and nourishes her and cherishes her. Isn't it interesting? We both like what it says about our spouse. We just have a little bit of anxiety concerning what it says about us. The other response that you get is we don't want to be the one to go first. Is that's a very typical thing. And women will say, well, I would you know, submit to my husband like the Lord if he acted anything remotely like Jesus. <laughs> I calculated his name 666. He acts more <laughs> like the devil. And if I just, you know, if I submitted to him, it would just encourage him and he would become even more evil. And so some women, you know, that's their response. Some men, it's like, if I showed my wife any weakness, I would be doing housework all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub, you know. And so we, we just have this anxiety that, that there's just something wrong with what this says about me and I don't want to be the first one to go first. And so that's really true. This is God's perfect plan. There is no plan B nothing else works. Uh, America is a giant laboratory that proves nothing else works, okay. and in our marriage after 40 years of marriage, I can say after several years of marriage of doing it the wrong way, we were on the brink of divorce. We've been married 40 years. We don't have a perfect marriage, but I'll tell you, I'm still married to my girlfriend. I'm still married to the love of my life. I am, and the older she gets, the easier she is to catch. I'm telling you right now. And, we, we are in love, and I'll tell you, and this works. I'm just saying, when we were on the verge of divorce, God, in his grace, healed our marriage, and this is, this is the way we do marriage today, and this is why we have a great marriage. Again, it's not perfect, but I want, I want to prove to you. I, I want to prove to you in real terms why this is God's perfect plan for you, and the entire rest of this message is designed to help to convince you to accept this as the standard for the rest of your life of how you relate to your spouse, even if you're single, even if you're divorced. This is God's perfect plan. Number, number one reason why this is God's perfect plan is the roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open their hearts up to us. You can't be intimate. Intimacy means inner closeness. It doesn't just mean an, an external closeness. It means closeness on the inside. You can't get close to you trust a person. And you can't get close until a person lowers their guard and allows you in. The roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to each other and cause us to drop our guard so that we can experience true intimacy. And let me uh, give you an example. I'll start with the ladies because Paul did in Ephesians 5. The number one need of a man is honor, is respect. In fact, when Paul is summarizing Ephesians 5 and what we just read, he said a woman should respect her husband that's our number one need we're different than than you and a big strong man that you could walk up and punch and it wouldn't hurt him you can say one word to him it'll devastate him you can just look at him the wrong way and it'll wound him we're, we're not wired like you our number one our number one need is honor and we gravitate where we get respect and we run from places where we're disrespected and so when the bible says to submit to your husband as to the lord you're your husband's equal You can say anything to your husband that you need to. I don't believe in this submission where women are under men and men dominate women. Karen and I make all of our decisions together. We're equals. We never talk about who the boss in our family is because the boss is Jesus Christ. We're both submitted to him. So when it says submit to your husband, it's talking about a respectful way that you relate to your husband. You're his equal. You can say anything that you want to say, but listen, you say it as you would to Jesus, not like your mother talked to your father. Not like your friends talk to their husbands. Not like you see on TV, God help us all. <laughs> Not like See, this, what is your standard for the way that you relate to your husband? I'm saying the standard in the Bible is as to the Lord. And it means you can complain. You can say anything you want to say. But the tone, the way that you say it is critically important. And the standard is, how would you say this to Jesus? You can say anything you want to say. How would you say it to Jesus? The second issue is, who's the enforcer? You are the Holy Spirit. Because you can say anything you want to say, but you need to be sweet in person and get violent in your prayer closet. You come up to your husband and say, honey, I love you. I think you're a hunk. I, I, you know, I believe in you, you know, but but would you do this and this and this? I need your help more around the house. I need your help more with the kids. I love you. I just, I'm just i just telling you. I need, I need you to do this and this and this. And you go get in your prayer closet and you say, Jesus, sick him. <laughs> and, and so, but... To your husband. Now this is this is first Peter three. This is interesting. It's talking to women and wives. Do not let your ornament be merely external, arranging the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on fine apparel. Rather let it be in the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And it's saying to ladies, You're beautiful on the outside, you can't help that. But don't let your beauty be merely external. And it's saying here, have the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's not mousy. And I know that when when women hear that gentle and quiet stuff, there's something in you that say, I have a strong personality and that's the way God made me. I agree. Gentle and quiet is not mousy, beaten down. Gentle and quiet is the opposite of rough and loud. And what it means is, I'm going to say to my husband what I want to say, but I'm going to say it with a respectful tone, and then I'm going to get in my prayer closet and let the Holy Spirit be the enforcer. I'm not the enforcer. My, listen, my God is big enough to change you. A gentle and quiet spirit is the spirit of a woman who has confidence in God more than she has confidence in herself. In other words, I'm going to say what I need to say, I'm going to do what I need to do, and God's going to do the rest. And I can be a godly, honoring wife, and my God is big enough to change you. And I was changed by a godly wife. Karen was praying for me when I was a jerk. She was treating me better than I deserved when I didn't deserve it. And that's what changed my heart. And so that's what it says to women. And I'm going to change over to men because there's a little tension in the room. And I'm going I'm to change to men now. So the number one need of a woman is security. Okay? Uh, number one need for men is honor and respect. Number one need for women is security. Nothing makes a woman feel more secure than a selfless, sacrificial male. And nothing makes a woman feel more insecure than a selfish, detached male. And the Bible says to men, you lay your life down for her. You lay your life down. You nourish and cherish her just like you would your own body. In other words, very sacrificial. And that, that is very important for women. For when, and here's what I say to Karen. This is today versus 35 years ago. And what I say to Karen is, you say it one time, it's done. To my hurt, it's done. You come first. Your needs come first, and what you need comes first. You'll never have to nag. You'll never have to beg. You ask me what to do, I, I help Karen around the house. I do anything that she needs done because sacrificially, I'm there to meet her needs. Well, here's, here's what research proves. They ask women, and my point here is when we do what Ephesians 5 says, it makes us attractive to our spouse. They ask women, this has been done in many surveys, they ask women, when is your husband most attractive to you? When is your husband most attractive to you? And always, either the top answer or in the top answers, women respond, when he's doing housework. When is your husband most attractive to you? When he's doing housework. Okay, That's the way they answer. When he comes into my world, when he connects to me, when he's my partner and he's helping me, that's when I find him most attractive. Okay, another survey that was done, study that was done, this has been replicated. University of Pennsylvania is what I'm going to quote here, also done in the University of California and other universities. University of Pennsylvania, they, they tested women's response to male sweat. And they put male sweat on women's upper lips. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't tell them it was male sweat, they told them it was a household product. Now, when women, the women found out it was male sweat, several researchers died. And... <laughs> But we appreciate their contribution to this. So, uh, true, this is true. At the University of Pennsylvania, they told women, this is a household product, and we want to see how you respond to it. So they put male sweat on women's upper lip, and they wired them up so that they could physiologically re- respond, see their response to male sweat. So when women are under the influence of male sweat, what they find is they become happy, they relax and they become romantic. <laughs> so let's review. They, they ask women, when is your husband most attractive to you when he's doing housework? And then women have a very positive response to male sweat. So let me give the men here the interpretation of this. You're just a clean house away from the night of your dreams. Just go and vacuum, let her smell you. Go back and do some more, let her smell you. I'm helping you guys out here. I'm telling you right now. But isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that what the Bible says makes us attractive? When you do what the Bible says, you become more attractive to your spouse. And they open their hearts to you. This is the answer. There is no plan B because this is perfect. This is the way God designed us to relate to each other and secular research proves it. Okay, number two reason why this is God's perfect plan. The roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential in our spouse. We we both come to our full potential when we're doing what Ephesians 5 says. Now listen, a godly marriage is a win-win proposition. There is no victim in a godly marriage. It's not the male who becomes or the female who becomes. Both people reach their full potential in a biblical marriage. Now remember in Genesis chapter 2, God, God created Adam before he created Eve. And Adam named all the animals on the earth before Eve was created. Okay, So that took a while. So Adam was here for a while before Eve was created. And God looked down at Adam and said, it's not good for this man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper comparable to him. And what it means is equal but uh, compatible. And so he looked down and said, it's not good for that man to be alone. A 48-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. It's not good for men to be alone. Men need women in their lives. We live longer and do better with women in our lives, but it's also true for women. Let me give you an example here of the roles in marriage. I'm going to start now with the, with the men. The Bible says in Ephesians five twenty-nine that men should nourish and cherish their wives as they would their own bodies. Those are agricultural words. The word nourish in the Bible means to feed to maturity. It's like a plant. You feed it until it matures. The word cherish means to keep warm. It's like an orange tree that you have to keep it warm from the frost so the oranges aren't damaged. The word husband is an agricultural word. The word husband means grower and tender. We are growers. What are we growing? We're growing our wives. What are we growing our wives to become? What God made them in their mother's womb to be. And see, what women mind and what has created the scar in the soul of so many women in our society is chauvinism, is being put down, is being put be secondary, is you're not as special as me, you're not as important as me, and you have to fight for everything that you get, rather than having a husband whose number one role is to have you become everything God created you to be. My job as a husband is to find out why God made my wife in her mother's womb. And I find that out from God and I find that out from my wife. What did God create Karen Evans to be? And I then become God's partner in her becoming that. If it's an astrophysicist, if it's a doctor, if it's a stay at home mom, if it's a worship leader, if it's a school teacher, whatever it is that God created Karen to be, my focus isn't on me, my focus is on her. And I give my life, I lay my life down, and I nourish and cherish her. Now, Back when we were on the brink of divorce, it was about me. I mean, I was a chauvinist. I was raised in chauvinism, and when I saw my family, because the the women in my family, I'm saying, were very subservient, and they, my grandfather never dialed the telephone for himself. He never did anything for himself. My grandfather literally would just reach over and thump his coffee cup, and that meant for my grandmother to get more coffee. Nonverbal commands. That's kind of the ultimate, you know. And just reach over. I tried that once with Karen. I th- thumped my iced tea. She said, you better be killing the fly, pal. And they were, I mean, when I married Karen, I, when, I, when I was raised in chauvinism, I looked and I thought, that's a, a, that's of God, and B, I want one of those. And I married Karen, and she did not train well, to say the least. And I thought, man, I got a dud there. So, But I was, I was a male chauvinist pig, and it was all about me. I just thought she married Mr. Wonderful. She's along for the ride. She's blessed. And uh, that's the way I thought. And when God, when God changed me and I began to see that women were equal, is I'm saying if I would have had to stand in account before God at that moment, I was verbally abusive, I was dominant, I was an idiot. But I'll say today, I can stand before Jesus, and here's what I can stand, say in the presence of Jesus. I was your partner on this earth to bring Karen Evans to her full potential. And today she's doing every single thing that God has called her to do, and she's happy and she's fulfilled. Because I'm a husband. I'm a grower. I grow my wife. And I'm here to bring her to her full potential in God. To be everything that God wants her to be. And women love that. Women become in the atmosphere of a sacrificial man. Who helps them and nurtures them. To become everything they're supposed to become. And so that's the way that God created it. Men, A good husband is a good greenhouse. Literally we become an environment of constant nurture and protection for our wives to become everything that God wants them to become. A a good wife, now it's different when you change to wives here in the role of wives because we don't have the same needs that you have. Men become in an atmosphere of respect and honor. Again, it's our number one need. Ephesians 5.33, where Paul is summarizing what he's saying, he says women should respect their husband. Uh, Proverbs 31, this is interesting. This is the whole chapter of Proverbs 31 is about the excellent wife. And it says, the excellent wife, her husband is an elder in the gates of the city, but it attributes it to her, not him. What it's saying is she created an elder. Her husband, she treated him like an elder before he became an elder and he rose to the level of her respect. That's what it's saying here. He became an elder in the gates of the city. It says in 1 Peter 3 that Sarah called abraham lord that sarah uh, abraham and sarah in the old testament that sarah called abraham lord and i told karen i said it's 21st century you don't have to call me lord (laughs) something like oh great one it's fine with me because i'm humble and i don't need that but and you would say well if i was married to abraham i would call him lord too you know he's the father of the faith he you know all the things about abraham on two occasions abraham lied about sarah being his sister the Bible says that Sarah was very beautiful, and men, kings, were approaching Abraham, and he was afraid that he was going to get killed over Sarah. And so, rather than saying, This is my wife, on two occasions he said, This is my sister, and she was taken into another man's house, and some very bad things almost happened. So, in the face of his failures, she still respected him and called him Lord, and that's what the Bible's saying. Men become in an atmosphere of respect a good husband is a good greenhouse but a good wife is a good cheerleader i mean really it doesn't mean you can't complain you certainly can but but cheerleaders i don't know about women's sports but i can say in men's sports cheerleaders are important because we love the praise of women and so but here's what cheerleaders do that's so great first of all they celebrate everything it's not just the big stuff if you ever watch a football game just you make two or three yards they're great with that you know, they're celebrating, yay, you know, and their pom-poms all that kind of stuff. Everything's great. And the second thing they do that's so important is they say negative things in positive ways. And so, like, the team's getting killed, uh, you know, kind of like Denver is going to be today. And, uh, but they're, they're getting killed. And, and it, here's, what, here's what cheerleaders do when, when your team's getting killed defense, de- smile on their face, happy, defense, hold that line, hold that line. And what they don't say is, you bunch of sissies, could you tackle somebody? My grandmother could have made that play. And everybody, a man will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man, he'll go do it again. We're, we're just not wired like you guys. We don't need that security stuff. I mean, we'll do anything for just a little praise. And so it's interesting, when the Bible tells a man to sacrificially love his wife, that's the atmosphere where she's going to become everything God wants her to become. When the Bible says for a woman to treat her husband as she would Jesus, that's the atmosphere where he's going to become everything he's going to become. We become everything that God has called us to be together. There is no loser. There is no victim. There is no secondary person. Marriage is a win-win deal. That's why it's so beautiful in God. In God, it's this perfect relationship where the man and the woman both ascend and become together. And I love you so much, baby, because you helped me get here. You supported me the whole way. It was you by my side the entire time. And you just grow in love and respect for each other because you know I couldn't made it without you. You were so critical there the entire time, and you supported me. And you just grow and bond. That's God's plan for marriage. One more thing, and I'm done. The roles in Ephesians 5 disable our sin nature and keep our sin nature from destroying the relationship. We have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. In fact, when you hear Ephesians 5 and that little thing rises up inside of you, that's your sin nature. And our sin nature can't relate to anybody successfully because our sin nature is selfish. It's jealous, it's envious, it's angry, it's the flesh. Galatians 5 talks about the flesh versus the spirit. And all of us have flesh. All of us have a sin nature. That sin nature will destroy every relationship in your life. And the only, in Galatians 5 is where it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Well, how do you crucify the flesh? You do what God says. You you apply the word of God to it. When you're you're doing what Ephesians 5 says, you have crucified your flesh. And now your spirit is taking over, and you're going to have a fantastic marriage. But I want you to listen to me. If you can't do what Ephesians 5 says, your flesh is controlling you. And your flesh will destroy every relationship in your life because your flesh is selfish and self-centered and short-tempered. Your flesh simply cannot love the way that God wants you to love. Your your flesh is going to undermine every relationship in your life. So we need to crucify it. Well, let, let let me talk for just a minute about the difference in nature of men and women. Now, I know in in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they both rebelled. That's the common part of their rebellion. But they rebelled in different ways. Adam and Eve sinned in different ways. And the roles in Ephesians 5 are different because our sin natures are different. Let me give you an example of what happened in, in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Eve, remember Eve was created second. Okay, so Eve and Adam were together, but the devil didn't talk to Adam. The devil talked to Eve. Adam was there. He was observing it, but he was addressing Eve. And we know that Adam was there because she turned and gave him the fruit as soon as she ate it. So Eve is here, and the devil begins to talk to her through the form of a serpent. And the devil begins to talk to her and says, has God surely said? The, The first words of the devil to humanity were questioning the Word of God, the integrity of the Word of God. That shows you something right there. He begins to question the integrity of the Word of God, And he says, has God surely said you can't eat of this fruit? She said, no, we can't eat of that fruit and we can't touch it because the day we eat it, we're going to die. And he says, you're not going to die. God's a liar. God's word isn't true and God's a liar. Whatever he told And he's trying to keep you down. If you would just eat that fruit right over there, you would become like God, knowing good and evil. And so he begins to traffic there with Eve and Eve takes the fruit and eats it without ever having conversation with her husband. Her husband's standing right there. And God's about to walk up. We know that. First of all, God lived with them in the garden. He was not far away. And as soon as they ate the fruit, God walked up. God was about to walk up. So all Eve had to do was to say to the devil, uh, no. Uh I appreciate what you're saying here, but I'm gonna talk to my husband about it, and we're gonna wait and talk to God about it. And if my husband and God are okay with it, then we'll talk about that fruit. But I'm not gonna eat it right now. Well, that's not what she did. She ate the fruit. Well, Adam is over here, and Adam has been commanded in Genesis 1 to subdue the earth and take dominion over it. And those are violent words to mean subjugate by force. Adam has been commanded to subjugate the world by force if necessary, and listen to what God said to Adam in Genesis 1. Take dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God is now preparing Adam for what the devil's going to do, because God knows. Take dominion you if any creeping thing comes and tries to defy my will i want you to subjugate it by force so adam is standing right here listening to his wife talk to a serpent who is coming against the will of god he's standing right there we know he's right there because she turns and hands him the fruit he's listening to everything going on but here's what adam is doing during the conversation Checked out. Passive. Eve's sin was independence. She thought she could make a good decision without her husband or without God. She thought that in herself, she had everything she needed to make a good decision. So Ephesians 5 comes and puts an extra layer of authority on women to crucify that independent spirit and to say to women, don't act until your husband is good with it. Just like Jesus, submit to your husband. You're his equal, but you treat him just like you would Jesus. You don't act without your husband's advice. You're incomplete without your husband's advice. It's going to take both of you to make good decisions. So you don't act without your husband. This is what and Karen and I, we never act without each other. It's not just for women, it's for men. But if when women stop and respect their husband and consult with their husband, it crucifies that, and it keeps the devil from destroying their relationship. But the sin tendency of women is just kind of a prideful independence. Now, for men, it's being passive. I'm, I'm, men know this, but I'm saying as being a man and being a pastor for many years. Our sin is just passivity. God commanded Adam, and he said, you take dominion over the earth. You be the leader. You stand up, and you lead. And you take dominion over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And this man who has been commanded to lead is just standing there, not doing anything. Ephesians 5 puts twice as much responsibility on men than on women. On women, there's an extra layer of authority. On men, there's an extra layer of responsibility. And Ephesians 5 says, you act, you lead. You lay your life down. You nourish and cherish her. You be the leader of this relationship, just like Jesus Christ. A servant leader, but a true leader. You stand up and lead. And when men take that responsibility, it crucifies our passive nature that destroys relationship. Eve was independent. Adam was passive. Ephesians 5 totally fixes it. Totally fixes it. When you do what the Bible says, it crucifies your sin nature. You become everything that God wants you to become and you become attractive to each other and open your hearts to each other. This is God's perfect plan. And one of the things that when you're hearing this, you say, well, you don't understand my circumstance, you know, and everything. I I know I don't, I, I really don't, but I understand this. My wife and I almost divorced and this healed our marriage. When I changed and I began to be a godly husband to my wife, our marriage was dramatically transformed and i did it first i did it first now my wife actually did it first she was godly before i was but when i repented to my wife for everything i'd done i changed and i began to do this as best i could imperfectly but i began to do this it transformed our relationship my encouragement to every man here is you go first you be the leader of your home you go first if you've done something wrong tell your wife i'm sorry for what i've done and i want to be a godly husband I want to to be an Ephesians 5 husband to every wife, regardless of your circumstance. This is God's standard for you as a wife. Your husband can be changed. Your husband can be transformed. But it will happen as you assume your role as the Bible defines it. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. I want you to think if you're with your spouse there you can hold hands or put your arms around each other, whatever, just make a point of contact. I want you to think about what I've said. Even if you're single, even if you're divorced, and you're here, you're unmarried, will you accept this as being the standard of your marriage? Every man, every woman, will you accept Ephesians 5? Not using your spouse as your excuse, but believing that this is right for you. Nothing else works. Nothing else will ever fulfill us, and God won't bless anything else. The only thing that God will bless is His Word father i pray that you'd heal our hurts and our disappointments and some of us have come out of backgrounds of unbelievable pain related to marriage and family and holy spirit i pray that you'd heal that but lord i also pray that you would just enlighten us to the fact that those failures and pain didn't come from doing what you said and i pray right now that you would come holy spirit and give every man the grace to change and to become a godly husband and that your standard would be our standard and that we would never lower our standard to become like anyone else or to become like the world. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just anoint men with the spirit of a godly husband, a Christ-like husband. I pray for women that you would give them the grace to change and the grace to be godly wives, that the role in Ephesians 5 would be their standard, regardless of what any other woman does around them, that their standard would be your standard and that they would hold it by faith and believe in it. And I pray that you would bless them as they become a godly wife, according to your word. And I bless this congregation, Lord, every every campus, every service. I just pray, Jesus, you lived and died and rose again to bless us with every heavenly blessing. And I pray right now that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on every single person here and that you would pour out a blessing that they could not receive, that they would be supernaturally and superabundantly blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me be with you.
0: Amen.